Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow. Well, I don't know why that's true, cause you got me, baby, I got you. I got you, baby. All right, we got Jason with us. Some of you might know him as producer Jason. He's quarantined in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm stuck here in Northern Virginia. And I can see Jason on the computer. He's wearing a Patagonia hoodie. I'm wearing the Patagonia hoodie. I was supposed to be wearing Fishing in the Keys today. I might go out fishing later tonight. Maybe crowds cool. will die down along the river and I can go find some shad. My uh, commercial use authorization just went through so I can go guide in the Potomac now up at Chain Bridge. All right, so we've discussed where you are and where you're from. So Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is near Allentown. Mm-hmm. But you like to fish small streams. So, yeah, we, we call this area, I'm right between Allentown and Easton, we call this the Lehigh Valley, which is the area that the Lehigh River goes through. Just about an hour north of Philadelphia is where I'm at. I'm, I'm not, you know, studying fly fishing on my days off and stuff like that necessarily, but I'm just trying to get out when I can. So I generally like to stay pretty local. I've never been to anything big. I've never actually been to the upper Delaware, and that's only two and a half hours, three from me. I kind of go tend to do J trips mostly right now is what I've been doing is going up to the Poconos, which is just about 45 minutes north of me, much more mountainous area, finding smaller streams up there, which I, which I really, really enjoy. I imagine now those streams are probably a little more quiet or do you think people are going up there? Actually today, they just closed the parking lot in Fredericksburg for shad fishing because too many people are not obeying. So it depends where you go. Like we have some trout streams here in town that have probably already been stocked. It's not technically open open yet because they push the dates back. So nobody's fishing around here. But once it is there, I'm sure it'll be crowded as anything, just like a normal opening day. The state parks are technically closed, but things like state game lands, 
state forest is still open. There's the streams that I've been going to over the last couple of weeks are ones that are open year round. So I don't have to worry about any regulation and stuff like that. But you can't go to anything that's still technically in close season at the moment. But I was up there yesterday at one of my favorite creeks that I started fishing last year. I, I went early, didn't see anybody at first, but on the way back, I, there was all kinds of hikers and people with their dogs and stuff like that. I almost got down to pet somebody's dog. I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. Can't do that anymore. Yeah, I know. It's so weird. We did a hike on a stream that's got smallmouth. It's about 25-ish miles due west of us. Okay. And it's a small river creek. I didn't see anything more than three feet deep, but the whole... Mm-hmm. Forest floor was bluebells. And there were a couple of people out there. Oh, yeah. We just would walk around everybody. But yeah, I, I like small, smaller streams. And what I'm talking about is like we, we have some small creeks here in town. Like these can get pretty crowded and stocked fish. But like I'm talking more about like in the Poconos where you can find rocky, a little more remote. remote. Um, I wouldn't say remote. Like if you're out West, technically there's still houses by the parking lot. And, you know, but if you can... You get away from where people initially go and you walk a half mile in or more, you can find places that nobody's fishing still. And, um, you know, it's mountainous. There's a, can be get pretty rocky, you know, it can be tough hiking and stuff, but, um, you can find a lot of willing fish on these smaller streams. If you know what to look for. What is the, what's the like average width of one of those streams? I'd say anywhere from something that honestly you could jump across to something that's um, six to 10 foot wide, probably. They can start in the lower reaches being wider and a little bit bigger. And as you get up into that, that, that gulch there, you know, it starts getting smaller and more rocky. It all depends. It goes back and forth, but there's, there's places where it's only a few inches deep to nice, some nice plunge pools that are, you know, almost four foot deep. So you can find some good stuff. And with houses down there, is there private property rules in Pennsylvania? There are. I usually just fish places that are I know are on state game lands or in state parks. There's one place that's a little bit of a bigger stream that a lot of people know about called the Big Bush Kill that goes through Resco Falls Scout uh, Reservation, which is six miles of stream that it's fly fishing only. So it's protected, but you can go in there and if they ask you to pay like a $20 annual fee to use it, but it's for everybody. So things like that. I, I hate having to worry about if it's posted or not. And there's been times where I thought I was in a, a good area. As I kept hiking farther and farther, I would realize, oh, this doesn't look like it's the same thing anymore. And you're talking about more remote places for these place things and like, you know, hard hiking. So there's nobody out there with guns protecting it. Right. And before you had kids, were these places you go camping to? Did you do overnight trips back when um, you had freedom? Um, I didn't do a whole lot of those. Like I would still just like go out for the day. Um, when I was pretty much like going fishing the, the nights, my wife was working nights and I was working during the day. I would go out after work, you know, and then come back after dark and like Sundays and stuff like that. So I d didn't do a whole lot of that, but you could, but there's places around there you can camp and you just, but you do have to be careful of the rules because there's state forests, there's a national forest up there and you might have to reserve spots and there might be no wood burning, that kind of thing. And so you just have to be careful. What are the things you need to worry about up there when you're in the backwoods of Pennsylvania? Are there things that are going to get you? You know what? You should think about it. I usually carry a knife with me, but I've been going up there for 11 years and I've seen one bear. 
the entire time. I've never seen a rattlesnake up there. And those are the two things that, you know, you would think, and maybe there might be a mountain lion or two. There's enough houses around though, in some of the places I'm going that it's, you know, you feel remote, but like if you walked a half mile in one direction, you'd probably hit someone's house. But I know there's plenty of bears in the Poconos, but I've, there was only one time that I was on one of the bigger creeks up there across this creek from me, a baby cub came out of the brush, looked at me, turned and went back in. And that's, that's the only time I've ever seen a bear the whole time I've been up there. What about hermits? Do you ever get people that live in the woods? Uh, not up there. Not so much. Down here where it's more urban and we have creeks, you know, you'll be like going through the woods and be like, oh, there's a tarp there. <laughs> that looks like somebody's stuff. Yeah, I found but the, generally it's, the remnants of an old lean-to a couple of weeks ago out in the woods. Well, there's there's some stuff like that too. Like this, the creek that I've been going to over the last year that I is amazing. I really, really like it. There is, if you walk about a half mile in, there's like a, there's a, this isn't like a lean-to or anything, but there's like ruins from um, something that looks like it was from the twenties or something like a built, like a nice size house or building. And there's rumors that it was like a speakeasy in the twenties or something, you know, where you have to hike into it to, you know, get, get your alcohol or something, but there's, it's cool. There's like, there's a piano harp in there. Like, like it might have burnt up or something like that. So the play, there was a, there's the metal part from a piano in there There you can still see the fireplaces. So you could see like cool stuff like that around too. That's, there's a lot of historic stuff just sitting around. And th this was old coal country, old logging country. So there's all kinds of weird stuff you're into that's that's pretty cool up in the do Poconos. You, do you find stuff in the creeks, like old mining stuff that either washed down or just is uncovered? Rusty stuff? No, not really. Up on your tetanus shots? Um, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's places like the same creek is like there's just random like culvert pipes sitting around. And I'm like, I don't know why they're even there. They're just metal rusted away. But I never, you know, I've never seen anything else like crazy. It's just like stone structures, stone walls you come across and you're like, that's got to be old. Things like that. You're fishing in the mountains. So is there a, a drop in topography? I'm guessing it's rugged and mountainous because that's what I picture as coal country. Is there a lot of, like, do you hike up and fish your way down or do you fish your way up and then hike down? Most of the, most of the time I'm fishing upstream because I'm fishing directly upstream. Like I'm not standing on the side of the creek fishing across the creek at all it's i'm standing in the run or the pool below the pool i'm fishing to fishing downstream is kind of hard because you gotta the key for this stuff is stealth really because you have to sneak up on these pools and you how often i'm on my knees casting above me it's hard because like you might find a stream you want to go to but sometimes they're just not accessible because once you get up there there's so much there's so many rhododendrons some places can be super super crowded with just brush and stuff like that. So it's, it can be really tough, but it's best as far as stealth goes to be fishing upstream. So you can just be sneaking up behind fish as you go along. You one of those camouflage wearing guys, or you have to wear something orange so you don't get shot. The truth is I probably should wear orange because there are times when I had been out there and they're like, you know, it's uh, you, you know, uh, turkey season started today. I'm like, no, <laughs> because some of them are state game lands. I, I don't wear camouflage. I just I just kind of try to stay at earth tones like grays and greens and blues and stuff like that. And I could probably do better at that because I'm a tall guy. So sneaking around these streams is not the easiest sometimes because i've been on a couple where i've scared away every fish i've come up against <laughs> you know some streams are easier than others um as far as stealth so it all it all depends but i'm not you know super crazy about being camouflaged 
would you be wearing waders up there with all that brush that could puncture it? Or is that a trade-off because you're crawling around? I haven't had that much trouble with getting punctured. You know, even like rhododendrons and stuff, the stuff that gets really thick up there isn't doesn't have a lot of prickles and stuff. If it's cold out, I'm definitely wearing waders. I'm not always, you know, going full chest up and everything. I might just fold them down and just wear them as pants, but I'm not. You a wet waiter in the summertime? In the summertime, I will go, I will go up with wading socks in my boots. Yeah, for sure. Because that will help keep you cool because it, it's easy to overheat because you're hiking so much in these places. You're not standing still for very long. And since it's trout water, it's got to be cool. So in the summertime, it's got to be nice. Yes. Is, is this all spring-fed creeks? So generally, these are freestone streams in the mountains. So they're very rocky, infertile. They don't have a lot of nutrients in the water, which is fantastic, honestly, because there's not a ton of bug life. And the fish, they will generally go for whatever they see. If they see something that looks buggy, often they're up on top grabbing it. Obviously, it depends on the time of year. And every day you go up will be different. But there's there's been plenty of times where I can just use one dry fly all day and I'm fine. Sometimes if nothing's coming up, I'll put a dropper on maybe. But I'm I'm really no expert in this either. So I'm just trying to, I just try things and see what works. What are your um, preferred go-to flies? It depends. Honestly, I like a lot of like medium-sized caddis that are dark colors because there's not around where I live, but up there in the Poconos, there's a lot more stoneflies, but small stoneflies. Actually, there's been a couple times I've seen some big stoneflies up there and I, or I saw the shells of them and I never saw them actually. There is some stuff like that up there. Um, but uh, and generally dark colors like a caddis will work. Sometimes, you know, if you sink it, that's the key. Like yesterday, I was out with an, a parachute atoms. That's all I needed all day, and it worked. <laughs> so I started trying to learn how to tie some parachutes at the beginning of the COVID about oh, four wow. weeks ago. I haven't started up again. They're not easy. And I'm, I tie a little bit, like I can do my caddis flies and stuff like that, but those, those are hard to do and doing nice looking atoms that have like wings or anything. Cause sometimes, sometimes you can get away with bigger flies, but on s- smaller streams like this, like sometimes smaller is the way to go. Sometimes it doesn't matter because they'll take whatever they. Are you familiar up there with the Mr. Rapidan? I do. I've, I, somebody actually last year gave me one of those and I'm like, I know this because I remember Rob talking about yeah. it. I want to learn how to tie the parachute, Mr. Rapidan. That would be my go-to dry fly if I was trout fishing mm-hmm. on top. Mm-hmm. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Would you ever nymph or streamer fish for these mountain fish? I I guess you could. Like sometimes, like I said, I'll put a a nymph dropper on if I think it's, if it's really cold, if it's colder out, like that's often the ticket. I don't know. Like you can, and but sometimes it's just not deep enough to make it worth it. And sometimes you're just doing these, like, there's like these little fast sections that you're just trying to get a fly through and having to wait for it to anything to sink would probably just pass any fish by. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's worth trying. It depends on the size. If it's a little bit bigger of a creek, I would definitely do that because that would 
kind of how it works is up in the mountains, the farther you get up, the narrower they are. And as it comes down to more level places, the creeks are going to be bigger and then more fertile, which means more bug life and stuff like that. And I will say, if you have any interest in fishing streams like this, definitely pick up Tom Rosenbauer's Prospecting for Trout. I learned so much about streams like this because I don't have streams that have huge hatches you know it's really sporadic and really thin bug hatches and sometimes it works sometimes and sometimes you especially on these small streams you've got to be looking for the best spots and if you can learn where they will be you can walk past tons of water and only find the good spots and when fish are willing to take whatever they see often you can get away with the dry fly and that's just more fun in my books so do you ever come across some log jams with something big hiding underneath them it has happened there's a creek called Tom's Creek up in the Delaware State Forest. It's up up past the the Delaware Water Gap and everything where I've caught fish that are the size of the the fish stocked in our creeks around here like 12 to 16 inches. And I know our mutual friend from Japan Yoshi was up on that creek once and caught I think it was an 18 or a 20 20 incher and I don't know where the thing came from. But that creek connects right to the Delaware River, so it probably came up there. Where is he right now? He's, uh, I think out. he's in, uh, you know, he goes all over because he lives in Tokyo, but because of his wife's work, he's traveling with her all the time and he keeps going to New Zealand like crazy. And he's so unfair. These pictures. <laughs> I know. He'll be in a coffee shop in Norway and it's snowing and his hashtag is fly fishing. <laughs> right, right. Or he'll be showing his pictures of his late nineties Ferrari. that he's driving around Tokyo and oh hashtag fly fishing. <laughs> I was trying to send him to some places in Hawaii to fish. When he was, the, well, I don't we know. We were talking about recently. I, I can't keep track of his like, travels. I think I showed you the pictures of that island, that northern island of Japan that he went to, where it's like super wildernessy, and there's got to be steelhead runs up there and stuff. And he was going fishing up there. It was gorgeous. Uh, that's where he was eating all that really good food. Yeah, yeah. He, he had some really cool uh, streamside lunches. I remember. I was like, what is that? He's like, it's mm. mushrooms and noodles. Like, All right, dude. I want it. So you're talking fish size. Where are they stocking these? Because the fish, are they swimming upstream? Or are they stocking them upstream and then they might wildly reproduce and move down? The streams I'm talking about, these small streams, are all wild. I mean, there may have been times they may have stocked the low regions, but not these smaller stuff. There's a couple streams up there that are larger that they do stock, but these small streams are all wild. So lower reaches, you're going to find brown trout. And what I have found is you hike in a while, um, there's a point where it'll switch over to brookies and it'll just be brookies from then on creek that i was on yesterday you get about a mile in and there's two two waterfalls you get to the second falls and right underneath it there's brookies and you don't find anything else if you hike north of there there's another creek nearby that i've been on where it was like the same thing it was like in the foresty areas it was i just i just found brown trout but as soon as it started getting really tight and a lot more rocky it was brookies so it's all wild and I think there's a lot less people that fish these streams too. So I, I rarely see more than one other fisherman on, on these creeks. And so that makes it a lot uh, cleaner, easier. It's got to be fishing. clean up there too. Clean, oh, f- cleaner for sure. Yeah. Clean. Uh, totally. There's some, you'll come across some weird trash just because there's still houses around here and there and stuff washes down, but not like the streams near my house that are more urban. You just, there you still find shopping carts and like people's junk. They just throw in there and so it's a shame because there's good fishing around here too. It's a lot harder because it's 
more pressured and a lot more fertile and it's all spring creeks down here, but it's, but there's still good fish in there. Do you have different tactics to target different fish species? Up there? No, not really. It's just making sure, like I said, like you're keeping a low profile and you're sneaking up. Like other species that you might catch? Non-salmonid? No, not not in the the like the freestone mountain streams. I at least for me, I haven't yet. When it gets a little bit more level, bigger, um, even up in that area, like there, you'll find some suckers and um, what are the uh, fallfish? Uh, yeah. There's a little creek that runs through our neighborhood, and I was out walking it the other day because why not? There are chubs in there that are over a foot long. I'm going to have to go out there with a three weight and some heavy nymphs. Yeah. I've run into some big chubs like on the Big Bushkill Creek. Um, that's the one that goes through the scout reservation. And even in the summer, if I, once it gets really hot, I've caught smallmouth and panfish. Apparently, lots of kids are out fishing the creeks right now around here. That's what I keep hearing. I'm sure. They stock trout this next creek down, but not this one. This one would make me happy if there were trout in it. Mm-hmm. We've got a canal over to by the river in town here that they just dump rainbows into. And the week before opening day, there is a mentored youth day. You can take your kids. You get there before everybody else. And it's so easy for my boys to catch these rainbows. It's ridiculous. <laughs> But it's a lot Does of fun. Hook and that's, cook or do they toss them back? Oh, yeah. Uh, I usually have them put it back, but um, we could take them home if we want to. I think it's the, the limit's five, but I've not, you know, I haven't kept a fish in years. I think my neighbor's been taking his kids out and they've been eating cheek. Uh, they're eating creek chubs. Oh, really? Weird. I don't know why. Maybe just because they can. Hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they've been coming home with a stringer of chubs. Well, I'm not sure if they're <laughs> edible or what they would taste like from a. Fairfax County stream. Yeah. Or if you'd want to eat them. All right. So what's your, your gear set up when you're going to go grab gear to throw in the car, to drive up to your small streams, what are you taking and anything you've learned not to take over the years? Generally, you know, I'll throw a couple rods in the car. Cause honestly, sometimes I leave and I'm not sure which Creek I'm going to yet. Generally I'm, I'm taking my, th- for the small streams, I'm taking my three weight. I would go smaller if I had one, but I don't. Sometimes it depends on how tight the trees are. You know, having more room to cast if you had a shorter rod or something like that would be helpful. I've been taking my seven and a half foot three weight generally. If you know that the the creek you're on might have bigger fish, it's probably good to go, I don't know, maybe a little bigger. And something that's not too short can probably help you even if there is brush if you want to do any bow and arrow casting i don't generally get into that like if something's really overgrown i'm not like trying to crawl through it all day that doesn't sound like fun at all but like the creek i was on yesterday it's it's surprisingly clear and you can get to a lot of it pretty easily but there's but there's always places where there's fallen trees and stuff like that where you might want to try to get something underneath. And if you have a longer rod, you can don't have to get quite as close to do something like a bow and arrow cast or things like that. I I almost always just carry six and seven X tippet with me. I go as light as I can just because it feels like one less thing for the fish to see. It's weird though, a couple creeks up there that have the tannin staining from all the deforestation and the logging from years ago that will make seven X tippet like like curl up into weird tight loops weird 
Yeah. I wonder if there's chemicals like leaching out from that in the mines. I, I don't know. Like there, there's a very good possibility because I, because of the stuff they used to use, like there is like the big bushel Creek, which is a beautiful Creek. And it's just, the whole thing looks brown. The water all looks kind of brown the whole time. Generally up in, when you get up into the mountain, like the really tighter stuff, it doesn't look like that. But some of these creeks are have just been hurt by whatever they used to do and all the logging. And I'm sure there are mines connected to these rivers that they still have chemicals in them because they didn't know anything back then about cleaning that stuff up or, or anything, but fish live in it. So if I were to be, if I were to be fishing six or seven X tippet, I would probably be breaking off a lot of flies on bat casts and snags on the, those trees. And you get, you got to be careful. And I'm nothing, I'm honestly not using anything bigger than a size 16 fly. Are your eyes good? Yeah, I have good eyes. Yeah. I've, I've never had to wear glasses, so it's, they can be hard to see. That's why a parachute can help. But you know, if you have a good pair of glasses, that's keeping the sun off the water. It helps that a lot of these really tiny stuff are well forested too. So once, once there's leaves on the tree, there's not tons of sun. Yeah, you do have to, sometimes you have to look really carefully for your fly or use something bigger in front of it or something like that. But I, I don't, I don't like to do that either. Cause I don't want to freak them out if I don't have to. How many fish will you try and pull out of a spot before you move on to the next one? Will you camp out in one of those holes? Uh, generally no, like you're usually only going to get like, I would say if you get two fish from a good hole, like a good plunge pool, like you have to be looking, honestly, you have to be looking for prime lies the whole time. You have to be saying like, that's deep enough. That's got current seams. That's, you know, it's noisy enough that I can sneak up so that, you know, like that there should be fish in there. You can find them in some weird places once in a while, but that's generally the places you want to go because you can walk past everything else. Do you carry a net or do you just hand land them? Nope. I just pull them out. They're usually not on these little, little creeks. They're not bigger than six inches. So it's, it, there's no, you, there's no need to carry something else that could get snagged on stuff. Do you still use like topo maps to blue line for new spots? Yeah, we have some good maps that, that even have, like, I have a, like an outdoorsman guide map thing that has everything labeled and it will even tell you like designations of some of the smaller streams. So you can find stuff and then and you, once in a while you're on there and you see a little feeder stream and sometimes it's fun to hike up that and see what's in there. And if you find a good pool, there'll be brookies in there. Do you ever turn around and not know where you are? <laughs> no, because you can always just follow the creek back to where you were. So it's not that hard, but Indeed. it's nice to, sometimes when you're walking up a mountain, you forget to turn around because you can just look down the stream and it's just like a cathedral of trees. It's honestly some of the most beautiful places I've been. And that's, and that's honestly why I fish because it takes me to places I wouldn't have gone otherwise. And seeing some of these fish that I wouldn't get to see because they'd be underwater. And like on the Creek I was on yesterday, um, this is the devil's hole Creek I've been talking about. The brown trout are just as pretty as the brookies. Like they have the red spots on the sides with blue circles around them. And I haven't seen any other browns that look as pretty as them anywhere. So it's really cool. And then the the brookies are, because they're smaller, like they're really brightly colored. Do you think you've ever fished a stream that hasn't been fished in ever or in a long time? Maybe the first angler hitting that? I, I doubt it. There's enough, you know, guides and maps and stuff like that. And there's enough people living close enough by that, you know, everything's got to have been fished at some point. 
but I know the places like if I walk a mile, mile and a half or more into, I know there's places that don't see many people at all. It's been a long time since, since I got to fish solitude like that. And that's another wonderful part of it. And, you know, part of this is getting me getting away, um, from my, my, my day work, even though I love it, um, getting away from my day work and just having something that's completely different. I'm not looking at my phone and it feels disconnected. It's surprising because they aren't that remote, but I will lose service. That's one thing I like when we're steelhead fishing is that we're out of service and I'm not getting texts Mm -hmm. and buzzing and dings all day long. Right, right. But being alone, I do take a couple of precautions, you know, obviously, because you never know. Who knows if I tripped and broke my ankle two miles in on one of these streams and it would be impossible to hike out. You know, like when I get to the parking lot, I... I'll go on my text messages and hit info and send my wife my exact location on GPS. So she knows where I parked my car. She bought me a, um, one of those running wristbands that has your information on it so that if someone found you, they knew who you were (laughs) and could call somebody. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the little things like that are, are good, are a good thing to do, but I've never had any serious problems. Um, what about hydration? You probably don't want to drink out of the brown stream. Mm, I, I honestly wouldn't. If I had a filter, sure. I, I guess some of the mountain streams could be fine. I can fit a Nalgene into my sling pack. So I usually have plenty for if I'm going out. You got a, a bag of the Clancy's peanut butter pretzels? Oh, sometimes. That's this. Is, well, I try to tr- eat healthy. That's definitely the chance I get to uh, snack a bit. So if you're not going to fish... A small stream. Is there another option? Do you ever do lakes and ponds? Do you even have that option around where you we live? We have some. We have some lakes around. Absolutely, it's something that you would need a kayak or something or a boat for generally because you want to be because that would all be bass. So you'd have to be fishing the edges from in the water, that kind of thing. You know, I can drive two two minutes down the road and and find some stocked trout down here. Um, there's the actual river that goes through our area. The Lehigh river does have some smallies in it here and there. Um, you just got to find the right spots, but yeah, other than that, that's, that's mostly it. I mean, the Poconos, I go up to Pocos a lot because it's, because it's pretty. And that's, you know, one of the main reasons I like it. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com What defines the section when it it turns into the Poconos? Uh, So we've got a ridge above our area called, ah, I always get this wrong, the Kittatinny Ridge. And I think it's probably Lenape for the Endless Mountains. So it's like one long ridge that continues. Like for, It looks like a really long ridge that just goes forever. And it probably splits up at some points. And there's some, you know, there's gaps in it here and there. Like the river just go through. The Delaware River goes through the Delaware Water Gap. We have the Lehigh Gap. There's other places like that. But it's just like if, you know, it's kind of like one long mountain that can go almost all the way towards like Harrisburg area. So it's going left to right, east, west? Yeah, it's going east to west. So that's okay. that's where the county line divides, and that's the Appalachian Trail actually goes right across the top of it. You know, you go over that mountain, and then it's technically the Pocono Mountains. You'd think I would know that having spent so much time 
in my youth going to camp up there. Right. Sure. But we were a little sheltered at, at our camp. We didn't really get to leave. We, we'd go to Beltsville Lake. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. That, that's actually like right up. I mean, sorry, right over the ridge. Don't quote me on I that. I want to say one summer there was cholera and we couldn't go. Oh, gosh. Maybe it was E. coli. One of the two. That sounds a little more modern, <laughs> but okay. yeah. Now, you also have the, the Pennsylvania Dutch. Do you come across any of these roadside stands people tell me about at the Lancaster show? Oh, yeah, always- absolutely. We'd have some of those not too far from us. If you drive out towards um, Kutztown, um, Lancaster area from here, there's people that have weird fruit, veggie, bakery stands. And um, I mean- not weird. It's good. <laughs> and then the random yard sale, like yard sale stuff. And how far is the Wawa from you? Oh, I have one uh, half a mile from us <laughs> that I can walk oh to. It's, uh, it's, like a, it's like a block from my studio. <laughs> so for those that don't know, I've converted from sheets to Wawa now. I'm, and I'm doing the club sandwiches. Yeah, we, have, we do have a sheets around here, but it's, uh, it's about two or three miles away. But that's the only one. No, we have two in our area, and that's it. But you do get the down sheets, towards Philly, they're not there. Do the Sheets people and the Wawa people ever get into it? You'll see a parking only lot Only on brawl. Facebook. Okay. <laughs> It'll be like the movie Rumblefish or the book Rumblefish, but you have Sheets versus <laughs> Wawa people. <laughs> no. Like in Michael Jackson's bad. Only people who have time on the internet to argue about dumb stuff like that. <laughs> so you're fishing during the daytime. Do you ever... Get out for a late evening hatch, You're like on a weekend you can escape? Not, I haven't done that a whole lot lately. It's mostly been when I have a chance to get away from everybody. Um, before I had kids, I was, I did a lot of evening stuff. I wasn't into the really small streams at that point. There can be some good stuff if you, you stay out till it's almost too dark to walk back to your car. <laughs> and then you can sure. get a dinner at Sheets. Oh, sorry, a dinner sure. at Wawa. Yeah. Yeah. Right or hit something on the way back, whatever. Is there a time of day you find that the, the Brookies or Browns might be more active and inclined to eat a fly? I don't know if I have enough experience experimenting between the two to, to say. Yeah, I've mostly been late morning to to afternoon. And it's surprising, you know, when the sun's right overhead, they're still, they're still going for it. So, you know, oh, you had asked if like how many fish I get. Like it's usually it's like one fish per pool. And... You, know, you want to keep moving on. And if you scare that one away, you've, you're done. You got to keep going. <laughs> Would you hit that pool on the way back down? Maybe, maybe there's, there are one or two places where you know there's more than one fish because you, because you might see them coming up. So you might want to try it again after it's rested a bit, or especially if you like get a bite and you feel a heavier fish, you're like, I'm coming back. <laughs> Make a mental note. Me often I'm running out of time and got to get back. So what would happen if you're late to school? Uh, I'd get a phone call probably on the way back or something. Are you coming? There's been, there, there were many a times when I'd be guiding during when we had school. And I would definitely be late with the oh, boat man. showing up, calling school like, I'm 10 minutes late. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but generally I'm waiting for the school bus. I've, um, so I have to get to the, the bus stop and the, you know, the school district will call you. And uh, if you it gets your kids standing there. Yeah. Yeah. I have See, got first graders. I have got first graders. They're not going to drop them off and let them go. Hopefully soon I, I'll be able to trust them to walk home because the bus stop's not far. So I was super excited that my daughter's doing girl, was doing girls on the run. So she wouldn't be picked up till 445 on Tuesdays oh. and Thursdays. And I would be able wow. to do seven to eight hour shad trips. Right. Now we're That's all stuck at home and we can't do what anything. Yeah. And then online learning with school starts next Monday. 
Okay. Yeah. On Tuesday. So I'm hoping that I can leave my kid here because I still got clients that want to go out. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. Just cover up, wear a full face mask. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd probably be okay. Yeah. Especially outside. But we started online learning last week. Um, and I think the teachers were saying like next week, technically it'll start being graded. I told the neighborhood, we need to do prom where everyone gets dressed up whenever Woodson high school mm. is supposed to have their prom and that people can either just walk around with masks and in a tuxedo oh and gosh. ball gown, <laughs> or you can just hang it on your driveway. Quarantine prom. <laughs> yeah. And then oyster Mike is going to be coming up here and people are going to pick up oysters from him. Oh, sweet. so he's going to pull his truck up and then people could just, everyone's buying them online. Mm -hmm. So we all get some fresh ocean produce. Mm hmm. So, yeah, the oyster party will be rescheduled. Cool. But we're all going to get oysters up here regardless. Yeah. Well, the family wants to come back down and actually be able to get to the museums this time. So, yeah, we'll probably have to make it happen. And a boat ramp that is open. I don't think there's any open ramps right now. Really? Yeah. Somebody put in over the weekend to go shad fishing. And I said, where did you put your boat in to get there? And they said it was an hour plus ride in a John boat. Why? Like, what? I mean, what's... Why would oh, they? The national parks. I, oh, the I, I national guess parks. They just don't want people. You know, people are will drive their boats right up onto the their trailers if no one's there and just tear up the ramps. <laughs> oh, okay. Who I gotcha. knows what's going to be going on? And then I guess no one's going to check for ramp fees. Mm -hmm. Oh, my ramp fee. My ramp pass for the county definitely expired. Oh, wow. While this has been going on. Oh. Yeah. See, our yeah, we don't have anything like that around here. I mean, we have ramps and stuff, but then they don't have to like pay to be able to use them or anything right at gravelly points the only free one and i don't even know if that's open mm. i haven't been out that way in a long time yeah do you have any other books besides rosenbauer about pennsylvania streams i any have small stream gurus in pa i have a couple and i the names are are eluding me at the moment i think charles mech is the one who was the big like pennsylvania stream guru yeah he um, passed away last year i think yeah, it was recently. He like had his own flies and things like that. Had some really good books. I think I do have a, a book of his called Small Streams of Pennsylvania. Whether I don't remember if that's about mountain streams or it could just be about creeks in general. Because if they're smaller than rivers, they could be considered small streams. So it, it depends, you know. But there's there's plenty of good books about about Pennsylvania um, out there. Like you, sure you can find out about your streams that way. And then you can go onto forums and find out what people say about places, but just look at a map, see what's near you, try something out, you know, see, see how it works. Like that Rosenbauer book, Prospecting for Trout, this has so much in it about knowing what you're looking at when you get to a stream. It's not just how to catch fish. It's, oh, this stream is rocky. It doesn't look like it has a lot of food. This stream is flatter and it's got lots of vegetation on the bottom. Well, probably has different kinds of bugs, like learning to actually look for that. And then not only knowing what kind of stream you're on, but then knowing where the fish are going to be in that kind of stream. And so you can actually find them. Yeah. Especially if they aren't coming up. Cause a lot of times I'm on these little streams and you're not seeing, seeing fish rise, but they'll still come up for a fly. So you just got to know where to look. Do you ever get to a stream and find out there's no fish in it? Some kind of big storm or flood or family raccoons moved in. I don't know. Yeah. Usually I, I chalk that up to I'm just not good enough, <laughs> you know, or like I'm just guess, guess I'm just not finding them or I'm scaring them all away. So I don't know for sure. What's something that's going to amaze you that you'll see out there on a stream? What's something you've seen that's just 
Wow, I was not expecting to see that today. The first time I was up up there and saw an eagle fly straight down the stream, I was like, that's awesome. I like like the ruins and things like that, like I was talking about, are kind of cool to see. And it's like, oh, well, people have been around here for a long time. There's been a couple times I've run into some old timers who have some cool stories about the streams and things like that. I don't know if I mentioned it when we were in New York, but there was a story that some guy told me about how there used to be some really big trout in the big Bushkill Creek. And then one year, there must not have been enough food in the Delaware and the lampreys were coming up the, the creek and were like attaching themselves to the side of these big brown trout and you just pull them out and they'd have these big wounds on them. The, apparently, like all the big fish got killed off that year and it's never been the same. So it's cool to hear stories like that from guys who have been fishing these creeks for a really long time. They're like, yeah, I've got a picture of this hole on my wall. <laughs> like, that's cool. You love this place. <laughs> Very cool. But the most amazing part to me is just to get, you know, walking in to a place that's beautiful and being the only one there, you know, you could get away with whatever you want at some point because there's nobody there. You just go. And it's, it's a lot of fun. At least Are for me. Are you a uh, earbuds guy when you fish up there? Or do you want to be hearing oh, no. the water in the nature? No, I'm, 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 totally immersed into where I'm at. I just try to be in the, in the now one there. Cause that really helps me out. So I, you know, I'm not, I'm not listening to music or books or podcasts while I'm fishing. It just seems like it defeats the purpose for me. Part of, part of the peace and the solitude and the calm, calming part of that is all the sounds. Each time of year is different. You know, right now you hear the wind through bare trees and it's just quiet. And when I don't have that around my house, it's just so nice to step out of the car and just be like, ah, that's nice. <laughs> what is the smell up there? Are you talking How about something? describe the woods? Yesterday we had the sweet smell. I don't hmm. know if it was the bluebells. Yeah. But the woods just had this aroma that was completely different than, than our neighborhood here in yeah. Rutherford. Um, when it starts, when the flowers start going, we can get a lot of honeydew smell, I think. I'm not sorry. Not honeydew. Honeysuckle? The honeysuckle smell. The first time I was on... Uh, the Devil's Hole Creek last year. It was just, it was so fragrant. It was, it, it was amazing. I don't, I don't know, but it, there's a, there's a definite difference in the forests between where I live and up there because there's a lot more hemlocks and a lot more rhododendrons. So when stuff's blooming, things smell differently, and it's, it's really cool. Around the big forests around here, you definitely get that fern smell most. But there's all kinds of, you know, it, it can be very different, especially when you have more evergreen type trees up there it definitely can smell different depending on where you're at right on how far is your closest guitar from you right now uh it's in the next room so four feet you gotta play something for us oh gosh what do you mean <laughs> i'm not play. prepared I've for seen... this oh come on <laughs> I, i'm working on my e to a minor oh okay good i picked it up here, what else on. am i gonna hold do on. Here, i'll go dude? grab it hold on all right those of you may not know jason is quite the talented musician he picked up my guitar not too long ago and played things I did not know my guitar was able to play. <clears throat> All right. I actually performed for the first time in a while on Friday night. It was a live stream that uh, one of my clients put on. And I was supposed to be running sound for the actual concert. And instead, he asked me to play a song for the live stream that he ended up putting together. Um, so it should be in tune. I don't know if you can hear that. <laughs> we can hear it.
There's a little not, finger not picking stuff. Just picking it up. <laughs> and you have a guitar pick case on your keychain. I do. Yeah, because I, well, it's part of my work too. So I'm often playing guitar or recording people who are playing guitar. So I have to be able to whip them out at a moment's notice. Very cool. But pretty much every pair of pants I own has one in the small pocket. <laughs> do you have a pick preference? I do. It's um, Dunlop Nylon 88 millimeters. 0.88 millimeters. What else is your quarantine plan? Quarantine plan. Well, I'm, it's, it's tough. I'm trying to mostly revolving around the kids. So in the mornings I am guiding my first graders through, through their online classes because they can't do it themselves. And our third grader is kind of more self-sufficient on that. I just had to kind of give up and say, this is what's got to happen. So I'm the days my wife is not working I am able to get a little bit of work done right now. I don't have, I don't have clients coming into the studio and recording people right now. So it's, it's a little, it's a little thin. So I'm just trying to get done what I can and just kind of, I've been offering to work on people's songs while they're writing. Cause I know we have a lot of local musicians who are probably stuck at home and they're writing songs. And that's kind of what I do for musicians as well. when we're preparing to make a record is just listen to the songs, make sure it's, put together well, make sure the lyrics make sense, that kind of stuff. Trying to get more people to do that kind of thing with me while I can't be actually one-on-one with people recording music. So, Well, enjoy your, your quarantining mm. and <laughs> we'll work on uh, getting the nation healthy again so we can go fishing again yeah. and then have an oyster party. At least I can go fishing. That's what, that's what At least that's distancing myself enough, and especially the places that I've been talking about today are, are nice and distant from people. So as long as they don't start closing down county lines, <laughs> that would make me sad. Yes. So. All right, man. Well, be safe. Have fun. All right. And we'll catch up with you later on in the quarantine. All right, man. What up, dude? Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. 
Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.